Kurt, PBT Extra this week, we got a, a pretty interesting episode talking about all sorts of things from Kevin Durant to Bill Russell to Election Day to Christmas Day games, all sorts of stuff. But let's just start with uh, the, the burning question on my mind. How was your weekend? How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. It's, it's a little mellow around here getting, like I said, I've said before, a daughter getting ready to go away to college. So just trying to spend some family time. And I will say this, by the way, Corey, I don't, I don't know how much TV and streaming stuff you watch. I just finished The Bear, which might be on Hulu, which might be the, the best thing I've seen in a couple of years. Absolutely really? love The Bear. Why? Uh, it is a, for people who don't know, it's kind of a, it, there's eight, one season, eight series, eight episodes, 30-ish minutes each, of a guy who comes from fine dining experience back to run his family restaurant. Um, it's a lot of drama, a lot of family drama, plus just kind of great restaurant scenes, but it's really gritty. It's really authentic. It's, it's, it's really well done. The characters are are genuine and the dialogue feels real. Like it just, it, it sucked me in. It's awesome. I think the last time I felt that passionate about a, a show was BBC's Sherlock. I don't yeah. know if you remember that one. I do but, remember that. Was I didn't, I didn't watch it though. Was it, was it good? Oh, wow. It was really, it was one of those shows. This was a, a time when I wanted to be a film major and I was taking film classes and TV classes and acting classes and stuff in college. And I just couldn't believe the writing the writing of that show and, and how they somehow made, cause I loved like the Hound of Baskerville. Like I love yeah. Sherlock Holmes books, right? Sir Conan Doyle's books, the way that they made that they breathed new life into it, but then also incorporated like text messages would just pop up on a screen. And like they use text and numbers in a very interesting way, like visually to show how his mind works so brilliantly. And I thought like, how do you convey to people that, you know, this guy's a genius and is on a different plane than other people. Uh, and I thought they did a really interesting way of like showing that disconnect between Sherlock and everyone else, like us and Watson. And by the way, Watson's like a doctor, you know, it's like us and Watson yeah. are trying to like pick up the pieces and he's just on a different level. So I just loved like I love how they did it visually and how they wrote it. But yeah, I, I've not seen the bear is what I'm trying to say. I, if you get the chance, if you're on Hulu, I, just, I would recommend it. But now now I'm going to have to go back and watch Sherlock and. I, I feel like I'm in my binge season. Like I've got to get stuff done before the season starts, and I spend all my free time watching, watching yeah, the, the game. The calm before the storm. I do feel like that. There's the it was. It's I'm over here in Astoria in in Queens, in New York. It is um, it was like a weird vibe. You know, it was cloudy. It was raining. And it was kind of that's kind of how I feel at the moment. Where we're we're anticipating like a downpour, a torrent. Yeah. But we, we haven't seen anything yet. We just see like little sprinkles, but it's overcast. <laughs> what am I alluding to? Kevin Durant, Josiah. This is just this saga, Kurt. I mean, this is like, it's better than a play, better <laughs> than Shakespeare. This is unbelievable. I mean, he went to Josiah, I guess, in London, which is yeah. even cooler. Like, we're, we're going, this is international now. We're going <laughs> yeah. into a new stage, uh, enter London. And you have a meeting with the owner, and it's me or them. It's John Marks, Steve Nash. And remember how vocal Kevin Durant was in favor of Steve Nash when he first in his first year of head coach, and now how the tables have turned, how the tune is different. What is your take? Uh, first off, I love that they met in London because Durant was already there. In fact, he went to a Travis Scott camp concert with James Harden, so apparently they're good, all good again. Um, but and Josiah's Josiah like. On one hand, you're like, man, he's got to travel the world. He's got to get to us. And on the other hand, you're like, yeah, he traveled in his private jet. He probably slept on the way there, had a nice meal. Like, um, They meet in London. My first thought, 
honestly, and one of my when I heard this was especially the ultimatum, the hey, it's me or it's Sean Marks and, and Steve Nash was. That's not an argument. If you're serious about getting them out, if you seriously want that, it's not an off. It's not something you throw on the table in August, right? It's something you throw on the table right after the end of the season in April or May and say, hey, this isn't working. We, you know, you start pushing then. I think it was more at this point, assuming he didn't, and we will we'll never know, um, or not never, but we don't know. Not right until the documentary now. comes out. Yeah, assuming that this came out because, and look, it got leaked for a reason. Assuming he did this in August, it was a negotiation move, right? Because he knew. He knew Cy at this point was not going to fire his coach and his GM to make Kevin Durant happy. He he was trying to raise the pressure. I It felt to me like a negotiation tactic, Corey. And it also felt like one that didn't necessarily work. Cy came out and said, on a, in, a, in a very, when was the last time an owner responded to a rumor like in a tweet? But came out officially and said, "Hey, the coach and GM have the front office have my backing." And I'll tell you, the every other team, if you're the Celtics or the Raptors or the Heat or whoever, you saw that and you're thinking, "Well, I better up my." You're not going to up your offer now, right? Hey, Kevin Durant wants out. He's putting pressure on them. I'm going to wait for the Nets to come to me. I'm not going to go to them. Yeah, th- this was. Um... Yeah, I agree. I think it was a failed negotiation tactic. I, I do think that it is. I think you bring up a brilliant point as far as the case studies are concerned, because I always think in terms of case study, because, you know, I like I'm, I'm a student. I'm a nerd. I just like thinking about <laughs> am I going to read this in the Harvard Business School case study? You know, like I always that's like the first question I ask, which is a funny thing, I guess. It's kind of weird. But with this, this is it like an owner respond, like you said, or an owner responding to a rumor via tweet. I mean, that's a historical document. And that's yeah. a great, like, this is a great moment in the, in the net saga as, as far as, like, you know, studying in, in the future. Right now, it's not, it's not very much fun if you're a Nets fan. Um, the, the whole thing to me is Kevin Durant is one of those guys who uh, he always comes across, at least, as a guy who knows exactly what he's doing with media. You know, he's, like, one of the most media-savvy athletes in the world, I would say, right? Yes. So, like you said, the, the fact that – this was a message the way it was communicated the way it was. It's hard to believe that this was not intended to create a splash, to create pressure. Um, but I just keep thinking about it, Kurt, from a perspective of like, well, what does it mean to be a good partner? And what does it mean to be a pillar of an organization? And like, this is a string in a comedy of errors for Brooklyn. I mean, everyone that they brought in in recent years, it's James Harden wasn't the guy. He's not going to help you build a culture, be a pillar for you. Kevin, you know, Kyrie Irving wasn't the guy, you know, and then now Kevin Durant is proving that he isn't that guy for you. So it's kind of like, I don't know how many, you're kind of running out here, yeah. right? It's, it's almost like it's almost like everyone that you put so much chips on, you know, the table for, it's kind of proving to you, it might be time to move on. Yeah. And, and Durant came to Brooklyn in part to create a culture, um, along with Kyrie Irving, but like, I, this look, they did this to get Durant more than Ky- with all due respect to how great a player Kyrie Irving is. Kevin Durant's, you know, top 10, top 12 all time player already. Like he's going to go down as an icon of the game. They did it to get him. Um, but he left the Warriors in part because he wanted to create his own culture, right? Because that is he was the best player on those teams. He has two finals MVPs to go with his rings that are well deserved. 
But that was Steph Curry's culture. That was Steve Kerr's culture. That was an established Warriors culture that he came into and probably took something out of and tried to take it to Brooklyn. But he hasn't been able to establish that same thing there. In fact, he disrupted the culture they have. You know, Kenny Atkinson's out. Um, John Marks, uh, I, thought they really had I thought John Marks was doing a really good job, Kurt. I thought, like, you know, as, yeah. from like GM's perspective, I was like, man, John Marks is one of the best GMs in, in the league. Yep. And yet it seems like the, the culture that was established in Brooklyn with Kyrie and Kevin Durant and then later James Harden is a culture of like you're going to put you're going to make the, the organization be your hostage. Like you don't want to hold them hostage. And that's all we've seen like for the past few years. It's just net stars holding the organization hostage. And it's it, it's I think frustrating just in that, that you, you look at this and you still look at this today. I mean, look, Durant's still on the roster. Irving's still on the roster. They're going to go to training camp with this thing at this point. I think the next step in this saga is nothing gets done. Nobody's talking right now. Like I, I, I've heard that. I, I just been reported multiple places, including the Boston Globe today, yesterday, that like they're not talking to the Celtics. There's just nothing going on. This goes into training camp, and Kevin Durant holds out. Probably, um, do the Nets handle the Heat well? Can they do what Daryl Morey did? right, with Ben Simmons, where there's just a lot of pressure to trade him. And he's like, I'm good. I'm going to wait for the right deal. I, can the Nets be that patient? Because not every organization is, handles that. That Not every organization is comfortable being uncomfortable in the way Daryl Morey is. Um, I, I just This saga is going to drag out into camp. And I, you still look at this team on paper, and I know they, look, they're not playing on Christmas Day, and we'll, we'll get into all that in a minute. I wouldn't know what to do with them if I were the league in terms of like television schedules, because like if everybody shows up, this team's a contender, nobody wants to show up. Isn't that funny? It's yeah, it's I, for me, I just hear this inconsistency and it's really yeah. hard. You know, I would say that it's, it's, you know, patience comes with it when you have understanding, right? I think one yeah. thing that always is a mark of understanding is, is great patience. But what, what is very difficult, it's very difficult to have patience in this scenario because it's just it's getting to kind of a laughable point, you know, yeah. and I think it's just kind of like, what is the goal? And, and to me, you always have to return to the original, like, what what are we doing here? What's our why? What's the first principle? And it seems as though if you're playing in the NBA and, you know, everything that we've heard, the messaging has been, I want to win a championship from every, all those guys, right? So if that's your why, if that's the reason why you're here, holding the organization hostage or demanding out or you're not showing up or not being a good partner, you know, establishing that culture that we had mentioned, you know, that we just mentioned, that, that doesn't accomplish that goal. So this is why it's just so inconsistent to me. It's like we're forgetting what the main thing is. And, and that is not it, – it's going to be difficult, I think. What, one thing I'd love to hear your thoughts on, I understand this year we're kind of playing it out. We're going to see how it goes. But if we just zoom out, you said Kevin Durant's top 10, top 12 all time. You know, how do you think about his legacy um, in the past recent years, post-Warriors now? I will tell you that I think this, how this ultimately plays out, and if he holds out, does impact his legacy in this way. Kevin Durant has positioned himself, and I, and I genuinely believe this about him, is, and, and in my limited conversations in, with him and, and just listening to him over the years, he believes in putting basketball first. He genuinely sees himself as a hooper, right? Like he's just a guy who wants to go out and play basketball. 
the game should be first. He, and I think a lot of players are this way. They, they don't get the fan fascination with everything off the court. They'd rather focus with what's on the court. If you've set that up as basketball is first, I'm all about the game. And then you hold out with four years left on your deal. Basketball's not first, is it? Like, I think that starts to impact his, his, the perception of him in a way that nothing else to this point has. I don't, you know, he jumped to Golden State and there's a lot of fans who like to hold that against him. But I've said a million times, like, you can't say winning rings is the most important thing and then be mad at him for going and doing the thing that was going to most likely win him rings and secure his legacy. So, like, I, I get everything he's done up to this point, but this, I think, could impact his legacy a little bit. Um, you know, I, 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 I disagree, Kirk, because I think that this scenario is exactly what um, we saw, like, an OKC. in this. If, if, if he sees that there is no path to a championship, then I think he is putting basketball first and saying, let's just cut bait, and I'm going to do the same thing I did before. I'm going to go find a team that I can go win. I have, you know, whatever, X amount of years that I want to play left. And there's yeah. nothing for me here. Why waste four years in my prime? I, I think he sees it probably. I don't know who knows how he sees it, but as as far as that is concerned, I, I would disagree with you there. And to me, Kevin Durant is like one of those rare, 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 rare um, people who are just like they're like masters of their craft, and it's almost like it doesn't matter. It just he has to play basketball, you know. I, I think of it like there's this one samurai movie by Akira Kurosawa called Seven Samurai, and there's yeah, this one dude who gets set. Yes. You, yeah, you, you love that movie. Yeah, so it's, it's one of my favorite movies. And there's this one guy in the movie who just is obsessed with testing his skill, like he's just the baddest dude ever. And all he wants to do is like he'll go to any, he'll fight any battle. It doesn't matter if their lights are on or cameras. Like it doesn't matter, you know. It doesn't matter if it's like for fame or glory. Like he's obsessed with testing his skill, and he does all this heroic stuff. But that's all that matters to him. He lives to test his skill. And I kind of feel like Kevin Durant's like in that category of rarity where to me, when I watch him, and when I listen to him, it's like I live to test my skill and there's nothing for me here. What's the point? I don't care if I have hundreds of millions dollars on my contract. I just want to win. I just want to play. I just want to test my skill. And like otherwise, what's the motivation? Like that's a different rarity. You know, that's yeah. a different level. I, I think it's just frustrating because – they could he could test it with Brooklyn like whatever's going on there like again that team is loaded for bear that team as currently constructed is right there with Boston and Milwaukee and maybe Philadelphia if you want to put them that like whoever else you're going to put on the championship tier they're there they're that it just but the flip side of that Kev uh, being a uh, Corey is and you can probably speak to this better like if. How does that impact the training camp? How does that impact the locker room if you've got this kind of distraction going on as you head into training camp? We saw it last year. The answer is it's the distraction becomes the story and no yeah. one talks about basketball. And then it derails the entire season. Uh, the, even the one glimmer of hope they had getting Ben Simmons was like not – it was kind of drowned out in all of yeah. the drama surrounding Brooklyn. It was more about theater than basketball. I will also say, though, um, with this idea of – testing skill in Brooklyn. I do believe that a guy like Kevin Durant, who's won now, like he, he saw what it takes to win. If he wants out, because if he's like, look, I got to cut bait. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. If it's that level yeah. for him, 
then Brooklyn fans should be terrified. I mean, even though they got Ben Simmons, yeah. even though they, have, like, they should be absolutely terrified because it kind of reminds me of Ronaldo when he didn't show up to preseason, like the, the training in uh, Thailand, the tour oh, yeah. for Manchester United. And everyone was like, hmm, didn't they just get Ten Hag? Like, is this a new era? Is there hope for Man U? And then Ronaldo's like, I want to get traded. I have one year left of my deal. It's a two-year deal. He, he had one year left of a two-year deal. He's like, I want to go play Champions League. I don't want to be here. And that was like a huge red flag. And then they got blown out 4-0 against, you know, the Bees, Brentford. Like, that is what I mean is like that level of, that's what we're seeing in Brooklyn, I think, is that kind of like tip the hand. Ronaldo and Kevin Durant are like, this is not going to work. It's going to go really badly. I need to get out of here. By the way, it's completely off topic. I am shocked how bad Man U is. I watched part of that one over the weekend and was was kind of stunned. Like, I just, that is that that is a quick and fast fall from grace. Um it, possibly. I still think that look, the funny thing is, Corey, I think we're going to be talking about this one for a while because it's dragging out and there's no nobody's talking. There's no end in sight. It is, by the way, somewhat the opposite of the Donovan Mitchell situation where the Knicks and Jazz are talking again. Uh, Shams Charania from The Athletic broke the news. I don't know how close they are to a deal. This, again, could drag out for weeks and into training camp. But I think both sides there are just motivated to get it done. The Knicks want they obviously would want Donovan Mitchell for as much of the season and training camp as they can get him for. If you're the jazz and you're, let's be honest, you're tanking at this point. You're looking at trading everybody else. Who's a veteran on that roster and, and you're going all in then keeping Donovan Mitchell around is problematic because he wins games. Like, so I expect that one to get done. Um, It just makes more sense. The Durant thing this has a lot more Ben Simmons of last year written all over it, doesn't it? Two stories to keep an eye on. Um, one story that I really um, – that we – you actually presaged this. Bill Russell got his jersey retired, number six, across the entire NBA. What do you think about this tremendous honor for, for Mr. Russell? I, I, like I said last week, I think that they're – I think he's deserving. I think that it's really the, – the bar for that kind of thing should be – ridiculously high Jackie Robinson high and Bill Russell's the one guy in the NBA I think who can meet it I'm not sure that there's another guy who does um he is the one guy who combines not only legendary play on the court and 11 rings and the first black coach in the league and 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 on and on and on like an unparalleled resume or close to it with the civic activism with everything else, I just at at, a, at such a tumultuous time in American history that that I, I just not sure. I, to me, I think it's great that the league did it and did it pretty quickly. It's, there's going to be a logo on every court. Um, the Celtics are are going to be do, doing a little more, but I love that the league did this and and honored him that way. Um, I wasn't quite sure they'd move that fast. I was glad to see they did. I, what did you think? Yeah, I, I think when you think about lionizing somebody. Um, Personally, you know, I, I'm i not really into, like, commemorizing or any of that kind of stuff. You know, t- commemorating or memorializing, excuse me. I, I don't think, for me personally, I just never really was into that. But I know for some people it's very important. But I agree with you. If you're going to lionize someone, you, you have to have a, a body of work that you've lived. And yeah. to me, Bill Russell is the only one that had that body of work. The only other person I think that comes close, and, and once again, it's way too it's way too early to lionize this individual because um, 
there's a lot of life left to live, but would be Yao Ming for what he's like, the work that he would be doing as far as like bringing China involved in the in growing the game globally, I think would be like, that's an unbelievable impact and what he's doing with, you know, the CBA, all that stuff. But it's way too early. Um, Bill Russell to me was, was someone who had an impact beyond the game. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I was talking to someone about this recently and, and they said that, you know, the glare of the spotlight will reveal the fulfillment or emptiness of the soul. And I think that's true. Um, you see when you're at the top of your game, what's in here, you know, what's, what's deep inside. And what we saw with Bill Russell was character. And I think one thing that is missing today is character from our stars. I really do. Um, because we see activity, but we don't see necessarily character. We see people willing to take stands, but but what, what does character mean? And character means, you know, you, you play for Boston, you win them championships, and you may not be able to eat out with your teammates. You know, like that's yeah. a whole thing. But what do you do? How do you react to that? You know, how do you um, be there for Muhammad Ali at that critical moment? How do you continue to carry that banner for the NBA for decades. You know, this is not like a race he ran for a year or two years. This, he ran this race from the 50s on. This is 70 years professionally running this race. Uh, and that, to me, that kind of endurance and that kind of consistent character throughout is what separates him from everybody else. And, he's, and I think he's a great testament of what players and athletes of today should be looking at. Like yeah. another person that kind of comes to mind would be Billie Jean King for doing, you know, it's like, someone who also is just carrying that out for life. This is like a race for life. And I think ultimately, Kurt, when we think about this generation too, the difference between this generation and Bill Russell is um, I think there's so much focus on talent and accomplishments, right? Versus character. Like the idea that you almost forget that Bill Russell was the greatest champion in sports. Like you almost forget he had 11 championships, I think is the point, right? Because I think the role of talent is to attract eyeballs. But that is just the beginning to your legacy. I think a lot of people have it flipped these days where you're thinking, okay, I want to be the greatest of all time. And then that's my legacy. I think that's wrong. I think that the performance is the smallest measure of your legacy and impact in the long term. First off, thanks for bringing up one of my idols, Billie Jean King, who, by the way, just as a Long Beach guy. Long Beach's own Billie Jean King grew up playing on the courts here. So, uh, in fact, the whole there's a whole tennis center here in Long Beach named after her. Um, I I will say this. I think one thing LeBron James has done has made it because he was willing to step up on some issues. It made it okay for other guys to kind of jump in. I think you see guys more willing to be authentic, more willing to be activists on, on some of them. And I don't think LeBron's a great activist, even, even among today, Jalen Brown's a better bigger activist. There are others. Um, but his celebrity and power, and, and then to not kind of take the Jordan-esque, I'm going to stay out of politics, more neutral stance and come forward and, and take stances on things and, and, endorse candidates, step into causes a little bit, I think at least opens the door. And I, I, I think he deserves some credit for kind of opening that, at least cracking that door open again when it really hadn't been for a long time. Yeah, I think I think when it comes down, like, like I said, to me, the, the measure of legacy and impact is what you do after you retire. Yeah. You know, because, you know, let's say you're one of the best players of all time. You still only play for a decade or two decades. Like, you know, you're, you're, let's say you play for 20 years. It's like an unbelievably long career but you're 40 years old, 
You know, so I, I think that's what stands out to me is Bill Russell was a champion in his sport, but he also got honored with the highest civilian honor in yeah. America. And I don't think I don't think conversation where in the NBA you're on a short list with like Chuck Cooper and that sweet, sweet water Clifton and, you know, and him as far as being the first black people in the NBA. And then to be one of the greatest champions of the NBA, to do all the things you said, and then to go on for another 60 years, you know, and just just build that legacy using what he what he did. And that first the talent that, that was given to him building off of that platform. To me, that is that is, like you said, Jackie Robinson level. That is unbelievable. That is rarefied air. And, and like I said, not to take away from anything else, it's just we're talking about one of yeah. the best honors ever, which is re- retiring your jersey across the league. You know, to do that, the bar is high. And that, and, and again, I don't think anybody else deserves it. And we'll see what this current generation ultimately does. Like you said, there's a lot of life to live for these guys post-career, and we'll see how that activism and, and altruism evolves. Um, uh, you know, the with the money some players are making, they are able to, Dikembe Mutombo in the, and others in the Congo are able to make a real difference on the ground in a way that, that's really meaningful and and we'll see how many players can carry on that kind of activism like Dikembe has well after his playing days. Yeah. And Bill Russell was one of those people who are, who are lighting the way in a, in a big way. Yeah. So can, thank you again for everything you did for us, Mr. Russell. One thing that came out is the, the NBA Christmas schedule, Christmas yep. day game schedule. The, the, the full schedule is expected later today. As far as this recording concerned about an hour and a half from now, it should drop, but we got, Christmas Day games, one of the best yeah. things I think on on the, the year as far as um, sports are concerned. They will be going against some NFL games, but here's what we're looking at: Lakers, Mavs, Warriors, Grizzlies, Suns, um, Nuggets, and 76ers, Knicks, and finally Bucks, Celtics. Which one are you most excited for? Honestly, it's it's Bucks Celtics. I, first, that was such a great seven-game series. And now you come back this year with an improved Celtics team heading into the season on paper with adding Malcolm Brogdon and, and Danilo Gallinori. Then you've got – remember, they didn't have really Chris Middleton fully healthy through that series. Like, you get a fully healthy Milwaukee Bucks team that brings continuity to the table. Uh, I, I think those are two very evenly matched teams. I, I, I have them one, two in the East. So I – of all the games, I just think if those two teams are healthy and ready to play, it will be a showcase. It, they're not I'm, – I'm loath to take away, hey, this happened in the regular season, so we should project this into the playoffs type of moments because I, I, you know, teams evolve and change over the course of a season. But I think this is going to be a great game and a great test and a great uh, – We'll see where those teams stand against each other on Christmas Day. That is the game I am looking forward to the most. What, what about you? I agree. That one's number one. Number two would be Grizzlies-Warriors. Yeah. I think that's going to be a fantastic game. Yeah. And then I personally think that this is going to be Luka's year. So I just want to see the Mavs play just because I want to see Luka do something legendary and heroic on Christmas Day. Because uh, I feel like that's one – I feel like – there are certain hurdles you have to do, you know, it's like, you know, rookie of the year, MVP, all-stars, you know, there are certain like things that you do in order to establish yourself as a legend. But I feel like putting up a great performance on a Christmas day game is just one of those things, you know? So to me, I would love to see Luca take advantage of that 
and continue to establish himself as, as a young legend to be. I thought the NBA did a really good job with a couple of things here. One is just that, by the way, it's not just Luca; It's Luca versus LeBron. And then it's John Morant and the Grizzly versus Steph Curry and the Warriors. It's the up-and-coming stars featured against the establishment, the established stars, right? I love that aspect of this. I love that they are – the NBA is showcasing these young talents. And, and, and I kind of wish – I kind of wish they'd done more. I kind of wish that we'd seen more of, of either a Trey Young and the Hawks or or the Pelicans with John Morant and, and – I'm not John Morant – with Zion Williamson and uh, everybody there. I, I think that would have been fun as well. I would love to see more of that. Like I, but I think that the, the two they got are great, and I, I love the, the juxtaposition that the NBA put out there. Yeah, you, you got to have Madison Square Garden because, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the, yeah. the biggest – characters in the NBA. So you got to throw, you know, you got to have the Knicks in there. Dan's going to be happy about that. Our producer. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but I, I think the one thing that's really interesting, just, just an aside, I think that the NBA is doing that other leagues picked up on and, you know, they're always, they're always the, in, I would say in the United States, the NBA is always the forefront of innovation of like investing in technology and like social justice. It's like they're always kind of like the forefront of basically everything other teams, other leagues kind of pick and choose, but the NBA goes first. And I feel like with the NBA, one thing that they've done really well is they've marketed their games recently. Like you said, LeBron X Luca. They they market the games like fights, you know, and they're going yeah. back to like the old like old school, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali versus you know whoever. So it's like it's like that idea of established hero versus young hero. Like you said, Steph X Ja, and uh, I thought that was really interesting how. It's actually a great thing, I think, for the NBA because they understand that people aren't – it shows that they understand their fans. Their fans aren't following teams anymore. Like when I reach out to people and I talk to people, they're yeah. like, oh, who's your favorite person in the NBA? They don't say, like, the Spurs are my favorite team. You know, they say, I'm a LeBron fan. Where LeBron goes, I go, you know? Yeah. Or, like, I have a collection of stars that I follow, and, like, they follow them. It's almost like fantasy kind of, you know, like – so the, the fact that the NBA understands that and then says, OK, well, let's give Jason Tatum, let's give LeBron, let's give Luca, let's give them like that kind of space and market our players, our stars. And uh, then everyone else will watch the games and then become fans of the teams that the stars are on. I think that's brilliant. And you saw the, the NFL follow that model with like yeah. Tom, Bra Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes, you know, for like a playoff game. It wasn't Bucks versus Chiefs. I think the NBA has been good at that going back to the David Stern era and kind of discovering, hey, it's not Celt even Celtics-Lakers, even a, a you know, legendary rivalry. It's bird versus magic, right? Like, it, because I think at the NBA, two things, even more than a quarterback in football, if you're Magic or you're LeBron or you're Luka or you're Durant or whoever the star is, you control the flow of a game and you're, you can put your imprint on a game in a way you just can't in other sports. You're going to touch the ball 100 times, you're going to take all these shots. You're going to draw defenses if you're Curry. Like, the stars impact the game. And B, there's an intimacy to it, both in person and in TV. Like you see their faces. The cameras are right on them. The fans are right on top of them. There's, we see their reactions. We see the, the emotion um, up front. And I think that that helps sell it. So, yeah, they've been really good at this for a long time. But uh, I am curious to get your thought on – 
the NBA kind of they don't traditionally go up against the NFL, but for people who don't know, and you're, you've got a few shopping days left until Christmas, it falls on a Sunday this year. Um, that, hence the NFL games. Um, how do you think that, I mean, do you think that impacts ratings? How do you think that impacts viewership across the board or is it just yeah. good for fans? I, I think that the NBA has kind of created a little bit of a moat because they, they, it's not like they, they kind of own Christmas day, if you will, you know, just like football, like the NFL owns Sundays and they own Thanksgiving. You know, I feel like Christmas as far as sporting is like boxing day for, you know, like for Premier League, they kind of own boxing day. And I feel like the NBA has kind of done a really good job of saying like Christmas is our day. We play basketball all day long. It's a fun thing. So I I think that in this case, I'd be curious. I don't think I don't think it's going to draw too much away from the NBA, but I would be curious to see how they go toe to toe knowing America, I feel like the correct answer is football. Exactly. <laughs> it's always football. But I do think this will be an interesting moment to gauge, you know, just well how how powerful is basketball, you know? Yeah. Because if if they do beat out the NFL, which I don't expect them to, but if they do, you know, I think that would be like a really interesting kind of mo like a like a, a shift. Because I yeah. think globally, you know, the NBA is like unbelievable, but I feel like on this day we'll see just how they match up against uh, the NFL. I think it's a really good test. I, by the way, I think you're going to get a lot of households because you know families are obviously it's Christmas. Families are coming together. You're going to get a lot of households where dad and the uncle have put the Rams game on the 65 inch TV in in the you know in, in in the family room and are watching the 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 NFL and the teens and twenty somethings are streaming the game, the NF, NBA games on the phone. Like, I'm not sure it's going to be great for traditional like TV ratings, but the NBA is so far, like you said, they've embraced technology. They have a younger core demographic that are perfectly happy to watch games on a computer screen or a, a phone and not think that that's diminished in some way that, that I think, I, I don't think it, like you, like you said, I don't think it hurts them that much. And especially like you said, it's such a big international day for the sport and the, the NBA, the NBA's growth for all they're trying to do domestically and will should continue to try to do the growth of this sport ultimately is that they are the best basketball league in the world. And their growth is growth is international in Europe and Asia and, and wherever. I also think you bring up a really good point. Cause I was, I remember during Thanksgiving, I was hanging out with my family and my cousin was watching like the, um, I think like a, like a movie or a TV show on her phone while we were watching sports and then everyone else was kind of on their tablets or phones. And I was thinking there's like six TVs. Like this is like a movie theater with six TVs and we were watching six different programs. So I think you're right. I think you're going to see some of that kind of splintering. Um, But I I do agree with you in the sense of like basketball is weird. Like you could watch it on so many different ways. And with, with football too, most of my friends don't, they don't watch full football games unless they're like at a bar, you know? So they watch red zone. So I, yep. I think it's going to be like, it's like an interesting kind of dynamic where like, I feel like people would watch a full basketball game, but you're probably not going to watch a full football game. You probably just watch red zone. Um, you know what? I, I, I would say, I don't think that that's true with basketball either. I think that you've even see it with the NBA that you sign can, if you sign up for league pass alerts and stuff, you get a, Hey, it's close with five minutes to go between, you know, the Lakers and Clippers or whatever the game is that you're in, you might be interested in buy the last five minutes for a buck, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think, 
I know with, you know, look, I know we at NBC for every Premier League game put together those extended highlight packages for YouTube. The NBA does it for every NBA game. Those things do really good numbers because I think there's a lot of people who who don't sit anymore and watch. It, it's, it's, it's ultimately the problem with the financial model for professional sports in America that's, that's got to shift. People don't really sit and watch an entire, I don't care if Major League Baseball, football, basketball. People, like you said, unless they're at a bar, unless they're with friends, they don't really just sit in front of the TV and watch a whole game anymore. Yeah, this is a – we'll see who wins out on Christmas Day, but opening night is going to be 76ers at Celtics and Lakers at yeah. Warriors. Uh, so it's going to be pretty interesting to start off the season. Uh, I want to move on to something that, speaking of watching players um, play, DeJounte Murray said this, uh, that he's basically encouraging on Twitter, encouraging more uh, NBA players to play in pro-ams uh, so their fans can actually watch them play in person. And I, and I thought that was a really interesting concept, um, given this, this value proposition that you're describing. One, the season is so long, right? There are so many games. Two, depending on the market you're in, like if you're in New York, it's going to be much more expensive to yeah. watch them in the garden than in San Antonio, right? And then three, this idea of, well, depending on how good your team is, you may not even see, you know, the traveling circus comes in and LeBron might be sitting out. So you may not even be able to see the one game that you're able to go to, you pay $100 for, and you can't even see the star. Um, You know, so I guess in this kind of environment, would this be helpful? I think it's really good for, because aside from the Lakers and the Knicks and the Clippers and the I guess the Bulls would be in this group. So some of the big markets, maybe Miami, where even you're going to spend a lot of money to sit in some pretty bad seats, right? Like, like it's just can it can be expensive in those markets to see, sit anywhere. But even if you're in a smaller market where the team isn't necessary, if you want to go see a game in Sacramento, the seats near the court, the the, the prime seats that are sucked up by corporations and the and the boot and the uh, Luxury box and stuff, that's still really expensive. That's what drives a lot of this revenue, right? So it's not cheap to go see an NBA game. And I think where the pro-ams tend to be played is places where this is where people are playing in the streets, where there's a genuine care about the game. And maybe those play people save up every year to go see a, a Laker game or a Knicks game or a Bulls game or whatever. But here's a chance to go see DeJounte Murray. LeBron James showed up in the Drew League. There's been a, the, the Drew League out here in LA draws big time every year. Uh, Demar Derozan was out there again last weekend, and they've had a Trey Young was a, a different one in Atlanta uh, with Murray. Like, I think he's right, and it's in the sense that here's a chance to get in for. I don't know. I'm not going to. You know, it varies from fee to fee. Jamal Crawford has a great one up in Seattle that uh, Paolo Bencaro and, and others were part of. Um, well, you can go see these NBA talents and pretty much, by the way, destroying these pro-am guys. Like, <laughs> the, as good as some of these college and pro-am players are out there, like the level to professional, especially elite professional, is just – you forget how good these guys are at basketball. Um, you know, Trey Young can show up to a pro-am game and he's nutmegging guys, right, and throwing lobs off the backboard because he's got so much space – it's incredible to watch them up close and see to put on the show. And I think it's great that it, like you said, it just, it's happening like DeJounte Murray's pushing for. These are people who probably can't afford or in other ways just can't get to 
see them in the big arenas other than on TV, you know, and here's a chance to go see them live and watch them perform live. I think, I think there's something to this. I, you know, look, I don't think this is necessarily how you train all summer. Cause frankly, if you're James Harden or Carmelo Anthony or, or, or Trey Young or whoever, you get more out of Rico Hines's runs out in LA at UCLA, uh, the Blackhawk runs in New York city. Uh, it, it, there's, these high level runs that take place where you're going against other NBA guys and you can work on specific things with trainers. That's where the improvement is made, but going out and putting on a show for the fans, I think there genuinely is something to that. I mean, what did you think? Yeah, I think there's a, a long tradition of, you know, like this kind of stuff, like in the playgrounds in New York or in the playgrounds in DC, yeah. you know, summer, summer leagues, that kind of concept of uh, NBA players playing uh, for fans and being able to get some good run in. I do think um, that the I think that it's an interesting question only in the sense of like the value prop to fans. The idea like in a fragmented market of like, okay, well, I'm only going to watch the last five minutes of this game. Or I'm only going to watch the fourth quarter. I'm only going to watch the second half. Or you know, my favorite team is playing, but it's a road trip, and they're you know they're blowing this team out. I'm going to turn the game off. Or yeah, I think that is kind of drawing the the. the the gap is getting so wide, I think, for fans because yeah. they're realizing, well, what is is the quality of the game improving for me? You know, like it's a quality of the of the product improving. Like I give you a lot of money and I'm a huge fan. I give you a lot of time. Jerseys are really expensive, they're like $150 for a jersey. I buy your jerseys. I go to the things. I go to the events. I watch All Star Weekend, and like half the games I can basically throw away. I don't have to watch half the games because they're not going to be very good. The stars are being rested, and if I buy a ticket, I may or may not see the stars that I pay to see. I'm probably going to watch the second string run. Um, yeah. And so I think that value prop that the NBA has created in like prioritizing stars um, and giving players so much power and control um, and the way that people are consuming media creates this imbalance where it's like this idea of programs is almost necessary, you know? And I think that's like, an, that to me is why this is interesting is that the, the initial model that we're talking about, the NBA having a wildly inconsistent value prop has created a, a dearth of like fans actually just wanting to watch stars play. They just want to watch stars play basketball. You know, it's like, I mean, when was the last time you saw Kawhi play basketball? Like, I just want to watch, you know, like I just want to watch basketball. So I feel like that is why this is important at this moment. And this is why we're talking about it. And by the way, if you can get into these runs, I know the Drew league out here holds 2000 people in the gym when it's a little more than that, when LeBron shows up and they're kind of, People are hanging off the rafters, basically. But, um, you know, it's a couple thousand people in the gym. You mentioned Summer League. Summer League is even get, starting to get pricey, but it's still a great value in that once you buy your ticket in for the day, you get to watch five or six games and see some rookies, and, and you can get closer, certainly closer than you can during the regular season to games. Uh, the Thomas & Mack is a – Thomas & Mack's an arena, right? Like, it's a – 16,000 seat arena, but you can sit pretty close. The Cox pavilion that's next to it is a, a college gym. It's, it's, a, you know, a, and by the way, I don't mean a big college gym. I mean like a small to mid-level, a D2 college gym where it seats maybe, maybe 6,000, maybe tops if, if that. And so you can get kind of close to everything and, and it makes it kind of fun. And I think these programs, like you said, I think they serve that purpose. It gives you a chance. It gives fans really diehard fans, a chance to go see elite level players 
in, in a setting and up close in a way you just otherwise don't get. And you're right, by the way, mentioning plays, Kevin Durant showed the, the list of people who showed up to Rucker Park is legendary, right? Like, um, and I think some of the proams have, have, I don't want to say usurped that, but like that's become where guys go now. So all of this stuff and more, we'll be continuing to keep our eyes out on. Uh, just follow NBCSports.com backslash PBT Extra to follow everything that Kurt's doing and his team. Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time. Excited to talk to you soon. Sounds good. Take care.